0: message for today. Now, we've been going through the book of Romans, um, and and I looked on our previous sermon uh, schedule, and I saw that, uh, that we spent four weeks in chapter 12, three weeks in chapter 13, and then Wilson scheduled for me to do all of chapter 14, which is longer than all of those chapters, in one message. So... I see how it is. <laughs> okay, that's that's okay. We'll see what we can do um, here today. Um, so as we begin, I'd like to invite us to um, kind of as our tradition here to uh, to share with the groups of two, three, four people around you uh, this little question. Just to share this little question: um, Are there things that you do or or refrain from doing, as the case may be? Um, specifically as an act of honor to God. Okay, so are there things that you do with a specific intention that I'm doing this to honor God, or, or I'm, I refrain from doing this as an act to honor God? Now, it may be the case where, and it's perfectly okay, that if you can't think of anything specific, that's, that's okay. Just that, That's perfectly fine. Um, some of you may be thinking, well, Everything I do is an act of honor for God, and that's, that's good, too. That's perfectly fine, but just, just take a few minutes here um, with the people around you. Make sure no one's left out just to share if there is anything specific that you do or refrain from doing um, as an act to honor God, okay? So just take a few minutes here. Okay, let's come back together. Thanks for that sharing. If there's something that someone said that you thought was especially interesting, do follow up with them after um, after the service here. Okay Okay So we're going to be talking about Honoring the Lord with our actions or inactions, or um, and how, as a body of Christ, the body of believers, that we can we can do that. Um, so let's begin with a word of prayer. Um, let's go into our passage here. Father God, we uh, it is our desire to honor you with our lives and what we do. Um, show us through your word. Um, we thank you for that you've given us these. Um, the freedom to worship here um, in this country is something that we often take for granted, uh, but show us also how so, um, how that we can best use the freedom not in the ways to serve ourselves, but to bring glory to you um, by serving our brothers and sisters around us. Lord, may your word um, be real, may it be, um, may it be deep for us today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So Romans chapter 14, um, Paul starts by uh, this way. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another it is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the lord is able to make him stand now this passage reminded me of a situation just when i was going through reminded me of a situation when i used to be um, a, a teacher. I used to teach in high school, a setting, and we had at the, our school a, a faculty lounge. This was a place where the teachers can kind of relax, kick back, and and you know act like normal people, as opposed to. Um, being the teacher and, and have some adult conversations and so on. Um, but so it would be a place where we could eat our lunch or food and also grade. So oftentimes we have these tables and they'd be covered with, you know, student papers that we're grading um, as well as food. Um, and, you know, my, more than once we've, you know, I've had to explain to my students what there's a weird stain on their their test when they got them back. Um, so, so I remember there was one time when I... Uh, I was eating my lunch, and I saw another teacher. She had brought her lunch, and she was preparing it. She made, brought stuff to make sandwiches. And I was totally shocked to, when the teacher took, took out the bread and placed it directly on the table and then proceeded to make her sandwich on the table, like directly on the table. No plates, no paper towels, no napkins or anything. I was just, like, floored. Okay, because you know, I mean, this is school. School is like a petri dish. You know, we have tests from the students and their grimy hands and everything that's spread all over the table and she's making her sandwich on it. And then and then and then she ate it. <laughs> and so and so this passage reminds me of that, and I realized that, you know, because at that time I was thinking, man, what where did she learn? You know that, that's just so unsanitary. You know why isn't she using a plate? And and I was I was judging her, I, I and I was judging her for for making the thing on the, on the table. And I realize now that you know. In that situation, I was like the weak person, the the person of weak faith that Paul is describing here. Um, that I had this view. You know maybe I'm just more paranoid about these things. I'm like a germaphobe or whatever. Um, but I had a view of, you know, that's, this is unsanitary. But but her her mentality is perfectly fine. You know, germs just make you, your immune system stronger, okay? And she probably was, did have a better, was healthier than me <laughs> in that regard. Um, but so Paul here is talking about an interesting situation that that doesn't necessarily have direct context here in in our society today because we don't necessarily, the food issue is not, uh, at least within the church, is not as big of a thing. Um, But we need to understand, in going through this chapter, we need to be able to understand the historical context of what the church was going through, some of the situations and the the issues that the church was facing at the time and why Paul was writing um, this passage. So the ones that he is describing, when he's talking about those who believe that they may eat anything, and those who believe that they, they need to refrain from or abstain from eating certain foods, okay? There are a few groups that Paul is um, is talking to. On the one hand, uh, within the church, in this passage that he's speaking, to, he is speaking to believers. Um, it's not it's not uh, an, an unbeliever or non Christian versus a Christian thing. He is speaking to a diverse group of believers within the church. They were all within the church at this time. So on the one hand, you had, there were Jews who, um, so there were there was food and there was a lot of um, idol worshiping going on in the culture um, at this time. And so you had, on the one hand, Jewish Christians who um, had grown up and who had been taught that when a food is offered to an idol, that it is defiled in a sense, that it is, uh, and that for this Jew, um, that he must not, he or she must not eat of this food because it has been offered to an idol, because it is defiled, okay? Um, And so, and then on the other hand, you have the Christians who were um, previously may have been Grown up as uh, idol worshippers themselves. They came from that background of, of idolatry. And so for them, this idea of this food that's been offered uh, to an idol, um, to eat of that food would be to partake and to, to go back to that life um, that they had lived before. Okay? So these are the people, these are the groups where the idea of certain foods they needed, they believed that it was important for them to abstain from eating this, this food, this food that had been sacrificed and offered up um, as a sacrifice to, to idols. Now, on the other hand, there were the Christians who were in the church who, you know, as believers, they knew that there was, you know, that idols, all of these are, are meaningless. They're, they're not real. And Paul kind of goes a little bit more in depth on this issue in um, in one of his other letters in First Corinthians eight. It's pretty long, so I'm not going to uh, go through some of that. Um, but but the idea here is that you know, as he says in, in in this passage here, for us there is one God. We know that an idol has no real existence; that there is no God but one. So so food that's offered up to an idol is in reality, no different than just the food that hasn't been offered up. Because idol is, is not real, there is no substantive change in the food. And so it's perfectly okay as a believer to eat food that has been offered up to, to an idol. It doesn't make it, that, that act of offering doesn't change the food in any way or make it dirty or unclean in, in, a, in, a, in a substantive or the real um, sense. However... And Paul goes talks about this a little bit more. However, because of those the people who had that former association with idol worship, um, or or you know like the, the or the Jews who grew up you know feeling that this kind of food was was defiled in some way, that it would be against their conscience to eat of this food. And so Paul makes a statement that even though it is okay, there's nothing inherently wrong with that food. Um, but because of these people who had that form association to eat food as really offered to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled, okay? Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And he goes on to describe how, like, if you somehow mislead or, or lead a, one of these brothers um, who has this view that this food should not be eaten, and it would go against their conscience to eat it, that if you then somehow can, they see you taking of this food and and enjoying it, and they think, well, like, maybe it's okay, and they eat of this food against their own conscience, that when you do that, then both you and this person have done something wrong. And let me give you some uh, a couple of examples that maybe will help us to to see this in light of... uh, in more of our current context. Um, those of you who work with kids or have kids of your own know that, that young kids, you kind of have to spell things out very literally for them. You know, when it comes to things that are right and wrong, things are very black and white, very, very um, uh, you know, true-false, it's a very binary view of things. Okay? So with young kids, you know, you know, we tell them, you need to tell the truth all the time. Right? You know, you have to be honest. You cannot lie. It's, not, it's wrong to lie. Okay? So imagine you have a situation where you have the, a, a, a father who's kind of planning a surprise party for, for the mom. Okay? So he's talking with the kids and making all these plans and how to surprise the mom. And then suddenly the mom walks in on them and says, what are you guys talking about? Okay? And the, and the father <laughs> then looks at the mom and says, Nothing. Now, for us, we recognize, of course, it's perfectly innocent. they just want to keep it a surprise, they want to you know make sure the mom gets surprised. But for the kids, you know little kids who haven't quite developed that sense of you know kind of the um, the, the, the spirit of of the law, that father just lied, <laughs> okay he said something that was not true, and then the kid then may think, well if the father did it, maybe it's okay for me to do it, you know? And so the next time, maybe then the kids are doing something that they shouldn't be doing, and then the father walks in on them and asks, what are you doing? And the kids say, nothing, <laughs> even though they're they actually doing something, okay? So so that's that's kind of a silly example. A um, more serious example, here, okay? So, so let's say you have this guy who... Was a former alcoholic, and and had struggled with very serious issues with alcohol, um, and went through you know recovery system and and changed his life and and has now gone clean and sober for for quite some time, and this person this guy has made a commitment to not ever drink anything with alcohol again. Um, it is part of his commitment and his desire to. Um, to to stay sober, to stay clean, and to, to acknowledge that change in life, leaving behind a former way of life that he had before. Now, as Christians, you know alcohol. There's nothing inherently wrong with with drinking alcoholic drinks. You know, in moderation. There's there's the disciples. They drank wine all the time. Okay, um, but so but to this this person, his desire is to because of that past that he had. He desires, he's made this commitment before God to abstain completely from, from alcohol. Now, then, if you then go to this guy and you decide to, hey, let's let's go in, hit the, this bar, let's invite y'all, yeah, let's go out for, for some drinks. And he's like, oh, no, well, okay. And you somehow convince him to go with you to the bar, and then you convince him to, to get some drinks and take some drinks. Now, if that happens, then even though there's nothing inherently wrong with the act of having a few drinks, but because you have caused this this guy to break that commitment that he had, his own conscience decision to abstain from alcohol, and you've helped him cause him to break that commitment, then both of you you have led him to do wrong, and in doing so, you have done wrong yourself. Okay, and that's kind of this mentality. This is the, the context that Paul is describing here, where even though there is nothing inherently wrong with this food or t- taking the food that, uh, that's been sacrificed to idols, but because of the context of you know, these brothers and sisters within the church who have grown up in this context where the idol worshiping or abstaining from the, the defiled food is important to them, that's why he says that it is, we have this freedom in Christ but it is better to refrain from exercising that freedom for the sake of these brothers and sisters within our within our, the, the church. Okay, um, the next several verses, Paul talks about another example of this this kind of thing where he's talking about um, people who who uh, esteem one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Okay, and again, it's it's. A, it's a very different context we don't necessarily have something that's a similar kind of thing but but again, during this time they had believers who viewed that one day was to be consecrated for God, whereas there was others who said you know it's it's all days we celebrate all days all days equally. Um, the point that I wanted uh, for us to see here um, is that when the person who observes a day or the person who abstains from that, okay, whether you're the person who eats or the person who abstains from meeting, the important thing I want us to focus on here is that they are doing it with the intention to honor the Lord, to honor God um, for this. Okay? The one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Okay? And that's really important here. Because it is that intention, that the, the the reason behind why you're doing or abstaining from doing certain things, that that actually has significance. Okay, um, and let me give an example of of that. Um, okay, it's it's what's important. That, well, well, before I get to say that, it's important for us to recognize that Paul is not advocating for some kind of this laissez-faire kind of like anything-goes kind of attitude within a church. It, he is not saying that simply that you can do, as a believer, you can do whatever that you want, whatever you please. Okay. The crucial point that we want to make here is that these actions, or, or inaction, or not refraining or doing action is out of the specific intent to honor the Lord. Okay? So the example here. Um, my wife and I, my wife Marion, we've... Um, married for some time, and I think for in all these years, I can't really remember any time where we actually went out on Valentine's Day, okay, or like celebrated Valentine's Day, by going out somewhere, okay? Um, It's not because we don't, you know, understand the importance of kind of, you know, affirming our our love and affection, our marriage, and, and so on. It's just that we don't like the crowds, <laughs> okay, and so we intentionally try to arrange for something. You know, we do something maybe a few days before or a few days after uh, Valentine's Day itself, because because it's not you know it's nothing necessarily special about February 14th. Okay, we can just as much celebrate our our marriage and our love on February 17th. Okay. And so we, so we do that, it's also because, you know, it's not just the crowds, but, you know, how places, like, jack up the prices for, for that, you know, chocolate, flowers, all those things are so much more expensive, you know, whereas the day after Valentine's Day, it's like 50% off, yeah? <laughs> okay, for chocolate. Okay, um, but but so it, there's a difference, though, between intentionally scheduling it to celebrate this event, like a few days after you know for the sake of avoiding crowds and, and paying high prices, versus like if I you know woke up on valentine 's day and realized oh it 's valentine 's day, I totally forgot, and I told my wife, "I want to do something tomorrow <laughs> okay there 's a difference in intentionality here, and on the one of you know intentionally doing something later. You know, I'm honoring her by planning for something with avoid the crowds. On the other hand, the other side aspect would be I totally forgot and I'm scheduling something for later because I forgot the day. You see how there's a very different there's, there's a clear difference in the intention, even though the actual action, you know the act itself is the same. We're, we're still going to be celebrating on three days later. but, but on the one hand, it's affirming, honoring my wife on the other, the other aspect, if I forgot, That's that's dishonoring. That would be a dishonoring of of my wife. Okay. So when Paul is talking about doing something or choosing to do an action or refraining from doing an action, um, it is important that in both situations that the person who is doing so is intentionally doing that with it with the intent of honoring God. It's not just a matter. It's not. It's that'd be different than say if someone said, well. Uh, I know it's important. You know, I know I've made this commitment. I want to do this thing to honor God, but uh, I'm too tired. I'm too lazy. I'm not going to do it. And since I'm a Christian, Paul says it's okay to refrain from it anyways. That's not the attitude that Paul wants us to have um, as through this passage. Okay. And, um, and it's this context, again, understanding this context is even more so important. When Paul talks about in verses 10 to 12, and he starts to get... Very harsh in in his wording here. Uh, In verse 10, Paul says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And it's very important here to... To really understand again the context that Paul is speaking to, there's a great danger to take this passage and um, and kind of take the passage out of context and abuse what Paul is saying. Okay, do not when Paul says do not judge. Okay, that does not mean that it is a license for Christians to do whatever that we please. Okay, when Paul says do not judge, it doesn't mean that there is no wrong, okay? These verses are speaking of things, you know, the, the eating of the food or the marking of days. These are things that are not matters of moral right or moral wrong, okay? If you do one or the other, there's nothing inherently wrong or right about either decision that you make, okay? Um, so, so, Again, I want to emphasize, make sure that we're clear on this. It is not the case that if your faith is strong, you know, kind of Paul's conscious in the person who's weak and refrains from eating certain foods or eats only vegetables versus someone who's strong. Paul is not saying here that if you are strong, you can do anything that you want, okay? Um, how many of you have seen the movie Training Day with Denzel Washington? It's a, it's a very, it's, it's a really gritty, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's it's interesting watching Denzel Washington play a bad guy. He does a great job of it, okay? <laughs> um, but there's other movies like that where you have, this, so in, in the movie Training Day, and maybe other movies that are like it, um, you have a cop who feels that because he's the cop, that he is above the law, that be, he's the cop, and he can act as if he's above the law and do things um, that that are actually illegal, but because he has this authority, because he has this badge, he feels like he can do that, or if you've, you know, gone on the freeway, how many um, get upset when you see, like, you're driving on the freeway, when you see, like, a CHP car just blast by you at, like, 90 miles per hour, and even though it's not an emergency, they don't have any, they're not flashing anything, they're just, hey, no one's gonna pull me over, (laughs) and they just drive by you, okay, so that's not what Paul is advocating for here, us. For us here, yes, there is freedom as Christians in certain things, but that there are also certain things that that are morally wrong that that Paul describes. Um, a few weeks back, Paul Kim, okay, our own Paul Kim, uh, spoke and he described uh, what would be the example of someone who did not uphold any laws. Now, the man of lawlessness, and that was the Antichrist. Okay? That if you feel that you are above the law, that no laws apply to you, that would be like the Antichrist. Okay? Um, Wilson, a few weeks back, Pastor Wilson spoke on Romans 12 when he talks about hating what is evil, and he gave the example of a person who um, who wants to drink cyanide, who believes that cyanide is is okay for you know, for him to drink, okay? And, and so, Paul is not saying here, and it's, and obviously, we're not advocating that, you know, to, for us to say, well, okay, you're, you believe that cyanide is okay for you, so it's okay for you, okay? As the believers, we would be the, amiss if we didn't tell this person, no, you can't drink cyanide. That's going to kill you, Okay, the act of love, loving someone, doesn't mean allowing them to do whatever they want. It means it does not mean allowing them to um, to fall for a lie and do something that will, you know, knowingly harm them. Um, so there's this contrast that that we're talking about here between um, and freedom to be able to do these certain actions or not do certain actions that are intended to glorify the Lord, to honor the God, versus doing things and trying to exercise a freedom in a sense where we are seeking to dis- fulfill the desires of our flesh. And it, you know, right before um, this chapter, Paul talks about in Romans 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So there's that contrast between a freedom that we have in Christ in, that's in terms of these certain restrictions and, and uh, rules that were in place that in, in certain cultures in the culture of the time versus can, in contrasting that with this desire to only do things out of our own selfish desires, okay? Paul is affirming a freedom in Christ to glorify God in the way that we choose. He is not affirming this freedom to just do whatever we selfishly want to do. Okay. And and he closes this chapter by kind of just kind of pulling this together um, and, um, and he describes it in this way: Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. But rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am convinced or persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The principle that Paul is describing here is this principle of deference and self-denial for the sake of others. And... It's a desire to lay down our personal rights for the sake of maintaining unity within the body of Christ. And that contrasts a lot with the attitude that is prevalent in our society today. We we speak a lot um, about the freedoms that we have, the rights that we have. Uh, especially here in this country as Americans, we have a lot of freedoms. We have a lot of rights that we often take for granted. and And our society today emphasizes about how you know, you are free to do what you want to fulfill your life, to seek you know, um, you know to, to pursue happiness in whatever way that you see fit, okay? And in a sense, though, yes, the freedom is good. But when pursued in a way where the emphasis is on fulfilling your own desires, okay, or you know, gratifying your own personal desires, so you're living out your freedom in a way that is good for you, but maybe at the expense of others. That stands in contrast with the principles that Paul is describing here. For yes, he affirms this freedom that we have in Christ away from kind of the the, the laws and rules and regulations that were in place in the past. But he then affirms this idea that, that it is a good thing to lay down those freedoms and the rights that you may have for the sake of building up the brothers and sisters around you that for the sake of affirming this body of Christ and the unity of the body of Christ, that we have believers who are laying down their own desires so that the others, so that they can be a blessing to those around them. And I want to close with an example of how I've seen this um, work, you know, in, 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 within a church. Uh, when I was growing up... Um, this was back in you know, junior high, high school days. Uh so we had our you know, the fellowship group that I was a part of. And we used to this was kind of near the beginnings of what we would call now, you know, the contemporary worship kind of thing. So these are like ancient songs to us nowadays. Okay. But but they were they were cool. They were neat. And we you know, as as young people as a youth group, we thought they were great because we could um it felt that we were better be able to worship and, and speak to God, and to, through these songs than through some of the, uh, the, the the older hymns that that were emphasized in the church at at the time. Okay, so we wanted to use contemporary worship in our worship service. You know, with guitars and keyboard and even drums. <laughs> okay, but. Um, but the old the, the adults in the church the elders in the church uh did not view it things that way um, they didn't think that it was appropriate to use those instruments in 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 worship okay um, there's the thing that that we need to uh, there's importance in the emphasis of the hymns and and avoiding these kinds of instruments and and for several quite some time there was a lot of tension and battling within between the young people and um, and the adults within the church because you know we just it felt seemed like there's no we, we couldn't see eye to eye. It's like we for us young people we thought was well, just instruments. There's nothing wrong with these instruments. That that you know why would you not let us use these instruments so that we can worship in in our way, um, and and it took some time, um, but. You know, first, our youth group eventually reached a way where we recognized, you know, what we are, you know, the youth, okay? And out of an attitude and desire to submit to our elders and to affirm this unity of the church, you know, we decided to kind of just step back and, okay, we are not going to to do this. We're not going to um, rebel against the, the wishes of our elders and, and, and you in worship, you do contemporary worship um, when they've told us not to do so. Okay, um, and and it was interesting because what happened was that when we submitted our our attitudes and we um, we submitted to our elders, um, the view of our elders started to change. Okay, where they saw. Are the maturity of faith that we were showing in, in being willing to submit to their the, the authority of the you know of the authorities over us, and they began to recognize the depth of the faith that we had been you know developing within. They began to see us not so much as just the young the kids the youth group, but as believers, fellow believers, and. Youth increasingly in their maturity and with the desires to to glorify God through the things the talents that they had um, and at, so they began to see okay you know what it's hey they're they're actually okay at the same time for us as a youth group we began to better understand the the view of of the elders um, in, within our church. And we recognize the context, that in the context why some of these the adults felt that these instruments were wrong because kind of the context of where they had grown up with, okay? Because these were the instruments of that reflected the evils of rock and roll, <laughs> okay? That when they had grown up, that these instruments, you know, the guitars and, and, and the, the drums and the, the beats and all that stuff, they had used those as acts of rebellion against their elders, okay? And so for them, these instruments were kind of a, you know, this going back to this desire to rebel against the authority, rebel against those. And that was what they were growing up with. And they were f- concerned that for us as young people to do the same, that's, that is an act of rebellion against, against them, and they began, so we, by recognizing where they were coming from, the context of where they were coming from, we were better to we center and understand each other. And mutually, we began to have more agreement. And they gradually allowed us to have add guitars to the worship. You know, they gradually allowed us to add a keyboard. And it took a long time, but eventually we even added a drum set. <laughs> okay, and... Um, but we did it in a way that affirmed the unity of the church and affirmed and strengthened, and we were a stronger church as a result of that discussion. That's the kind of attitude that Paul is desiring, you know, speaking to, to us today to have. Maybe the context is, is different. We don't have things with food laws or food sacrifice to idols or things like that. But I'm sure if we think about, it, there are other things that we um, may disagree with when uh, they're within a church that are um, where we can better affirm each other um, by uh, by acknowledging that we are all seeking to honor God through these actions or refraining from certain actions. Let's pray. Mm. Lord and we, Father, you've given us um, a freedom um, through your Son, Jesus Christ. And most importantly, you've given us this, this freedom from, um, from sin. From the, the Because of the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we have been freed from um, the death that comes as a result of sin. And we want to acknowledge and thank you For what you have done for us, to buy us this freedom. Indeed, it was costly. It was at the cost of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, show us how that we can use this freedom that you've given to us um, as believers um, to build up the body, to not look to ourselves, to not look to for ways that we can satisfy our own desires, um, but to turn things around and just be looking out for to brothers and sisters, for those around us, Father, build up this this church that we may be a group that is looking out for each other. Um, just think of <laughs> the example of like um, the Golden State Warriors when they they're looking out for each other and and. And the way that they play and um, passing to each other, um, as opposed to just looking to score on their own, I pray that we may have that example, that mentality as well. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, Amen.